Hello, everyone. We are back with this week's episode of the First in Tech podcast. I'm your host, Technician Sports Editor Andrew Schnicker. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Alex Sawyer. And guys, we have got a jam-packed, fun episode for you today. We are going to give you a quick update on the basketball team, and then we're going to talk a little hockey, talk about the red-hot Carolina Hurricanes. We've got a great guest for you today, our good friend Brian LeBlanc, the managing editor of Canes Country over at SB Nation is going to join us. But first and foremost, Alec, quick update on basketball. Yeah, I think the last time we talked about basketball here was right after that Carolina game. Since then, NC State's gone 2-1. and one, um, Beat a pit team on the road in a pretty close one, but got the win and then easily handled Syracuse at home. And that's a win I think NC State really needed because you kind of wanted that resume builder. You wanted that game that looks a little bit better than beating the pits of the world. And Syracuse is a good team and you win that at home and you win it big. Um, Braxton Beverly was really good in both of those games for NC State. And then uh, Wolfpack obviously goes into Cameron Indoor and loses to that Duke team. But that's a that's a pretty special Duke team. Yeah, I'd say that Duke team was as advertised. I mean, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Trey Jones. I mean, you look at that team and it's just to me, if that Duke team doesn't win the national championship, I think their season is a failure. I mean, they're that's so good. I mean, Zion picked up four fouls early and still ended up with 32 points and oh by the way we're going to take Zion out against you but RJ Barrett's going to have a triple double sound good <laughs> but I, th- I thought the Wolfpack I thought the effort was there there were some things they could have done better but they they definitely fought I mean every time Duke would get up by 14 or so and look like they were really going to pull away NC State would pull it back and keep it close and they kept it respectable there yeah definitely um nc state hung around in that game for a while it kind of went off the rails towards the end a little bit but there's no shame in losing to that duke team i mean most teams lose to that duke team and you now you don't have to play them again and you hit a much easier stretch of your schedule now down the and you play boston college twice you have wake forest and georgia tech both at home the only real tough game for nc state left on the schedule is at florida state the other ones you really should win so the wolfpack now has past those games against Carolina, against Duke, against Virginia, and hits that home stretch that is much, much easier and, you know, should really result in at least four wins. Yeah, I think the Wolfpack definitely needs to go at least four and one in these last five, get to 10 and eight in the ACC. And at that point, I think you're probably okay in the NC in terms of the NCAA tournament. But we've uh, we've got some hockey to talk about here, too, for a quick Shout out to NC State Club Hockey capturing that ACCHL title last weekend. Really an incredible season for them at 25-0. and 0. It's always amazing to me to see how good that program is, especially at the level that they play at. And uh, Carolina Hurricanes, too. Tough, uh, tough loss last night, but that team is red hot. Yeah, you lose to the Rangers Tuesday in a game that, honestly, the Hurricanes played pretty well, but just couldn't get the puck in the net. But... Carolina 15-6-1 since the calendar flipped, best in the NHL in terms of points since the new year, one point off a playoff spot, obviously trying to end that drought that they've had since 2009 getting in under first-year head coach Rod Brindamore, who I think has done a very good job with this team. You've been missing Jordan Stahl for a while now with some injury, but the Hurricanes have looked pretty good, especially as of late. Yeah, I think really, especially, you know, it's even, it, you know, just being in playoff contention this year with a first-year head coach and a young team. If you look at just this one season in a vacuum under Brindamore, it's been already, I'd say, a very successful season for the Hurricanes. Of course, it's not in a vacuum, and it's 
got the fact that they have missed the playoffs for nine years in a row and are trying to finally get back in. And they've had a lot going for them this year as they've tried to do that. Sebastian Ajo, the best player on the team, is having an incredible year. He's got 24 goals and 67 points on pace for 93, which would be the most since Eric Stahl in 0506. That man is going, just in time for his contract season, that man is going to get paid yeah i will always sit here and talk up sebastian Ajo. i just love watching him play hockey love what he's able to do and you know 67 points already i mean having a really good year another guy that's come in for the hurricanes and has made a huge difference for the team is uh nino niederreiter and that that was a pretty interesting trade <laughs> yeah, you know i made the comment to someone last night we were talking about different trades and what the hurricanes could possibly get for say you know like a justin falk and i said you know, scouts and GMs do watch video with the apparent exception of those employed by the Minnesota Wild because the Hurricanes bring in Nino Niederreiter. He's got eight goals and 13 points in 14 games. He was having a bit of a down stretch for the Wild this year, but he's always been a pretty good scorer. And they get him for Victor Rask, who he had one goal at the time of the trade. I mean, his claim to fame this season was missing the first couple months after cutting his hand, slicing sweet potatoes. So, uh,. Yeah, interesting deal there. Yeah, it's definitely a trade that's uh, worked out well here for Carolina. Nina Ryder, 13 points in 14 games since that trade. You have other guys on this team obviously doing really well. Michael Furland was a really good add this offseason, has been playing well. Uh, Tavo Teravine and Justin Williams. I mean, you have a lot of guys on this team that really are hitting their stride, playing well as the trade deadline approaches, as Carolina tries to fight for a playoff spot. Yeah, and now to talk a little bit more about the run that the Carolina Hurricanes are experiencing, we are going to bring in our guest for this week, Brian LeBlanc, managing editor over at Canes Country. How are you doing today, Brian? Hello, gentlemen. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Great to have you on our show to talk about the bunch of jerks that are the Carolina Hurricanes. Shall, I, shall I start with my Don Cherry impression? <laughs> now, kids! No, go ahead. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll save that for the end. But uh, no, for those that don't are, want to scare them off right off the bat, yeah. right? For those that are aware, the that aren't aware, the Hurricanes this season after home wins have been doing what's called a storm surge, where after the other team is off the ice, important distinction, they go out and they lead a Viking clap for their fans, and then they do some sort of post game celebration. They've done baseball, they've done duck duck goose, they've done bowling, they've done a. Thor theme celebration that was probably my personal favorite, but that was the best it, by it's, far. It's just really been a a good way to keep the fans engaged and keep them in the building. But of course, when a sports team and its fans decide to have the audacity to have fun playing sports, there are those, especially in hockey, the old timers who will not appreciate the fact that they're having fun. And Don Cherry, who's a longtime analyst for Hockey Night in Canada, went on a long rant over the weekend talking about the Hurricanes and how it's disrespectful to the game and they better not do this in the playoffs and, you know, just called him a bunch of jerks for doing it. And the Hurricanes, to their credit, turned it around. They changed their Twitter bio to a bunch of jerks. They've been selling bunch of jerks t-shirts. And to me, it's really been... I mean, honestly, the owner, Tom Dundon, was talking about Don Cherry yesterday. Somebody asked him if he wanted an apology. He said, no, really, I should thank him. And I think that's right. What Don Cherry has done has given the Hurricanes great publicity. And I can't remember the last time everyone was talking about them like this. And really, 
the team has done a remarkable job of turning this around into a, a good thing for them. Yeah, and the thing with the um, the reaction to the storm surge is not quite so much on the hurricanes end because pretty much I would say the vast majority of the hockey culture is on their side in this. But um, you know, good for the team for turning this around and making something out of it because uh, God knows the Carolina Hurricanes have needed an identity for a very long time. Uh, for the last nine years, their identity has been the team that always seems like they're going to get over the hump and then can't do it. And now here we are where everyone in the league is talking about them. They're winning. Like you said, they're 16-5-1 and one since the start of the se- since the uh, start of 2019. And, you know, when when things are going well, you want to try to capitalize on that as much as you can. The building is back alive. We haven't seen that. I mean, you and I, have, Andrew, have been covering games there for years. I mean, in my case, this is my, I think, 12th year. You're in your fourth or fifth, I believe. So, I mean, we've seen the building you know, more level dead more than one night. And there's a buzz there now that cannot be denied. It's really impressive what they've been able to do in terms of engaging the fan base that really has been beaten down a lot over the last 10 years. Yeah, it's uh, amazing what happens when, you know, professional athletes decide to have a little fun and have some fun with the fans. And I think it's a great thing for the franchise, a great thing for the fans. And, you know, there's always going to be the haters the older generation that doesn't like stuff like that i mean it's celebrations and hockey bat flips and baseball all sorts of things but to go have fun i think that's something that's really good for this franchise well and i think that the one thing you want you talk about you know this being an older thing i don't even think it's necessarily a generational thing rod brendamore is as hockey man as a hockey man can get and he's on board with this justin williams has three stanley cups on his resume he's won a con Smythe trophy he's one of the you know, it, when when you think once he retires, when you think of playoff performers, he's going to be up there with guys like Len Anderson and um, Mark Messier, and you know the, that level of performance in the playoffs does not go unnoticed. And it, this is largely his idea, so you know it's not just a generational thing. There is definitely a a uh, a subculture of hockey analysis that is very much by the book, stiff upper lip, but. You know, the world is kind of going in a different way, and the Hurricanes are kind of on the forefront of that. And good for guys that could very well be lifers like Brindamore, like Justin Williams, like Jordan Stahl, that could go the other way, but instead are embracing this. And look what it's doing. It's it's engaging with the fans. It's bringing the locker room together. I mean, they're, they're selling T-shirts now. I mean, what what can't what's not going wrong right now? I mean, everything everything's coming up roses for the Hurricanes outside the fact that, you know, they couldn't put more than one goal past Henrik Lundqvist the other night. But, you know better late than never um but everything's everything is kind of clicking for the hurricanes and good for them because like i said they've needed something like this something to engage the fan base for a very long time and they're finally getting it speaking of other things to engage the fan base let's talk a little bit about what the team's been doing on the ice the past couple months because they're on an incredible run right now i mean like we said they're only one point out of a playoff spot very well could have a chance to finally get over the hump and get in down the stretch. I mean, what's what in your mind, Brian, has is are some of the key things that have brought them to this point that they've played so well? Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind, and the first one is the uh, the trade that you mentioned, uh, getting Nino Niederreiter uh, for Victor Rask was just a stroke of genius. Um, the Hurricanes had been looking at Niederreiter for years before this trade went through, so he was far from an unknown quantity um, in the front office. 
And, you know, it's it's kind of like how Jim Rutherford always tends to get his guy one way or the other. And I think finally the Hurricanes came around on Niederreiter. And in order to do that, they, they had to jettison Victor Rask, who um, promptly went out, scored two points in 10 games, and injured himself by stepping on a puck. So that's kind of where we are right now with Victor Rask. Um, I have nothing against Victor Rask. Uh, the issues that I have with him are contract and performance-based. Great guy, nice locker room guy, always engaging to talk to. You know, it's not the, uh, not it's not like he, you know, was was a problem in the locker room and they had to move him. But for what they were paying him and what they were getting from him, it just wasn't sustainable. And then to pick up a guy who just walks right in onto Sebastian Ajo's wing and takes off just makes it even better. So that that move, I think, really galvanized the team, showed that they're willing to spend money to improve the team, which is something that a lot of people have been looking at since Tom Dundon took over uh, last year. Um, well, there you go. The proof's in the pudding. Niederreiter makes more money, is on a longer contract than Victor Rask, and so he's going to be a part of the solution here going forward. The other thing that I think is working in their favor is that they finally have goaltending that they can play in front of uh, that's not you know, that's not causing them to just grip their sticks. And I think we saw this last year, especially with Scott Darling. Whenever Darling was in net, for whatever reason, the Hurricanes played differently in front of him than they played in front of Cam Ward. There was no doubt about it. They were looser in front of Ward. They were more confident in their abilities. Not that Ward was a world beater by any stretch, but they played better in front of him. And there is definitely something to the idea of when you know that you have a sure thing behind you in net, that you play looser and play better in front of that goalie. And the goaltending that they're getting this year from Peter Brozick and from Curtis McElhaney has gone a long way to kind of solidify that, that they're not out there running around going, oh my God, what's going to happen if we turn the puck over? They don't have to worry about that anymore because they trust that their goalies are going to make the save. And that is a huge thing that the Hurricanes haven't had in years. And I think, uh, think mindset-wise, it goes a long way to trying to get them into, you know, uh, in, in less thinking about what might happen and more thinking about, okay, that's covered. Now we just need to get the puck in the net. It's one less thing to worry about, and I think it's really paying dividends this year. Yeah, I definitely agree that, that goaltending has been something that you can look at and point to and say that's been a huge difference between last year's team and this year's team. But then also looking up at the scoring, you have a guy like Sebastian Ajo makes the all-star game, has 24 goals, 67 points, and it's just been really good for Carolina. I mean, what have you seen from Sebastian Ajo this year? How good has he been for the Canes? Oh, he's been fantastic. And um conveniently in the con- in a contract year and i mean he's going to get paid this offseason there is no question about that and um you know kind of the parlor game on press row all season has been what you know what contract would you give to aho um i think i started about eight and a half over seven years i don't see any way he gets less than nine and probably nine and a half is the number at this point but you know dundon's on record don waddell's on record saying we're going to pay the guy um you know there's not going to be any question about that he's going to get what he deserves because he's the cornerstone of this team and they're going to build around him there's no doubt in anyone's mind that he's going to get his salary what that number is is still anyone's guess i think right now i don't think he gets to 10 quite but it's going to be pretty close 10 million a year um average annual value I wouldn't be surprised if they if the Hurricanes try to sign him to an eight year deal. He um, you know, he might have an incentive to try to uh, cut that back a little bit and try to take a shorter deal, an Austin Matthews type deal, where he signs for five or six years, buys out a couple years of free agency, but doesn't tie himself down long term. Um, 
you know, that's I think the negotiation here is going to be more along the lines of um, contract length rather than value. He's going to get paid regardless. They're not going to nickel and dime Sebastian Ajo. Um, but the question is, how long is he going to be willing to go? I think the Hurricanes will pretty much give him whatever he wants um, because without him, nothing, you know, all, all of this stuff is basically for naught. And they recognize that and they're going to make sure that he gets what he deserves and uh, gets it at a value that's going to allow them to build the team around him. Hurricanes have had a couple more newcomers making an impact this year. They made that big trade with Calgary at the draft last offseason, decide not to sign Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm as restricted free agents. Those two go to Calgary, Dougie Hamilton and Michael Furland, as well as Adam Fox, a prospect defenseman who's having a really good year, come back to Carolina. We know that we've seen that Lindholm is having a really good year in Calgary. Hannafin's having a pretty good year. I'm interested to hear your perspective on what the impact of Furland and Hamilton specifically on the roster this year has been on the Hurricanes. Well, Furland, really both of them have been kind of a tale of two halves because Michael Furland came out of the gate on a line with Ajo and Tavo Teravainen and just set the world on fire. In fact, that was the the only line that was really producing for the first 10 or 12 games of the season. Uh, Furland got hurt. He suffered a concussion back in, I think, late November and really hasn't been the same player since. He's, you know, he shows he shows sparks of it, but that's kind of who Michael Furland is. He's a streaky scorer. Um, his value is is more as a deterrent. And, you know, we've talked to Rod Brindamore about this. Um, teams play the Ajos and the Teravinans and the Andre Svechnikovs differently when Furlan's on the ice. Not to say he's going to necessarily drop the gloves, although he's certainly capable of doing that, but just his presence, you know, kind of warns teams not to take liberties with the younger guys. And you could see that when he was out of the lineup, the, the teams really keyed in on, you know, especially Ajo physically trying to take him out of the play. Um, for what, from what I hear, um, he's looking at a deal. He wants to, the number that he would want to sign a deal is north of what the Hurricanes paid uh, Tavo Teravainen when he signed his extension. Uh, that extension went for five years and a little over $5 million a year. Um, Furlan wants more than that. I don't think the Hurricanes are prepared to pay more than that. And so it probably means he's going to test the market and, you know, more power to him. That's his, that's his right. This is his first crack at unrestricted free agency. If the Hurricanes can get him to accept a number that fits better for them, they will gladly take him back. But if that number goes too high and some other team uh, overpays for him in their opinion, then they'll let him go. Hamilton has kind of been another interesting case. He's a notoriously slow starter everywhere he's been, whether it's Calgary, his first few years in Boston, now his first year with the Hurricanes. Um, he has never been a an early starter, um, and it's always taken him a while to kind of get into the rhythm of the season. He kind of hit that point really coinciding with when this hot streak began for the Hurricanes. I don't think they're necessarily correlated one with the other, but the Hurricanes are a much better team with Dougie Hamilton playing at a high level. And ever since about Christmas, he's really kind of come on, has kind of found his role. The one place where he's been underutilized, in my opinion, is on the power play. Um, I think they can get more out of Dougie Hamilton if they decided to use him on the power play. Um, but for what they gave up, you know, you mentioned Lindholm. He's playing with Sean Monahan and Johnny Gaudreau, who are two very good players. Um, line mates that he never really had the quality of when he was here 
So good for him. I mean, I think a change of scenery was probably of the best for him. Um, Hannafit, I think maybe a little bit of change of scenery, maybe a bit of a numbers game, especially when you consider that Calvin DeHaan was in the was kind of in the hopper, was a guy they were looking at to not replace Hannafin but take his spot on the roster. You know, there was going to be an odd man out. It turned out to be Hannafin. Um, I don't really think there's that much of a loss there necessarily for the Hurricanes. DeHaan's been great. Um, so a deal that kind of worked for both sides. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad deal if they don't re-sign Michael Furlan because they got what they needed to out of him. And if the number's right, they'll absolutely bring him back. In fact, Tom Dunn was asked about that yesterday, and he said, yeah, if the number if the number fits, we absolutely would love to have him back, but we're just not going to blow our budget and you know give him millions more than we'd be willing to offer. If someone other team wants to do it, they can do it and take him. Yeah, and another guy that I don't think we've talked about yet that has given the Kane some projection, uh, 14 goals, is uh, the first-round draft pick, Andrei Svechnikov. How have you felt he's performed for the Hurricanes relative to the expectations he had coming in? Well, you know, what's kind of interesting about Svechnikov is that he's in kind of the same place where Ajo was a few years ago. Um, obviously, extraordinarily talented. Um you know, has probably the best shot on the team. Although I will say that Tara Vinan's got a really underrated shot that he doesn't use nearly enough. Um, but that being said, as far as guys who are willing to shoot the puck, um, Svechnikov and Aho are worlds beyond anyone else. And to have that kind of company coming into a team at 18 years old is really something special. Um, he's hit a couple of walls this season. He's, you know, gotten himself in some penalty trouble, although that seems to kind of have backed off a little bit over the last few weeks. But what you're really seeing from Svechnikov is a guy who uh, wants to learn the game, wants to get better, and is kind of soaking it all in. And I don't think there's any better group of leadership to uh, to do that from than Justin Williams and Rod Brindamore. Uh, Brindamore has said many times, he came into the league as an 18-year-old, uh, did Brindamore with the St. Louis Blues years ago. So he understands, now he was never as offensively gifted as Svechnikov was, but at least in terms of understanding the grind of the NHL season, knowing that there's ups and downs and trying to keep your head up at the at the rough points, he gets it. And I think that that's been a lot, uh, a lot of what's played into Svechnikov being as successful as he has this season um you know has he disappeared at times yeah he has has he disappeared at times yeah he has but um at the same time it's to be expected and even Aho, his first season in the league didn't look like the superstar that he is today um and I think Svechikov's kind of on the same trajectory. And I really think that, you know, what they get out of him, they were expecting more out of Martin Nechas this year. He's been in Charlotte most of the season. Um, so what they've gotten out of Svechnikov, I think, is pretty much what you could have expected. And I think that going into next season, you'll expect even more from him. But in his rookie season, there was a lot on his shoulders. And while he may not have quite lived up to where they wanted him to be in a perfect world, he's been a lot closer to that than... Um, than he could have otherwise been. And I think that's probably something the Hurricanes can hang their hat on, that they really haven't done any disservice to him in his development by playing him as much this year. Yeah, and the other thing, when you look at this Hurricanes team, this is a transitional year. I mean, it's the first year for Rod Brindamore as head coach. And you mentioned earlier the team really kind of finding an identity and obviously playing really well now. How would you assess that first season so far for Rod Brindamore? Well, it's been a learning process for him for sure, Alec, and I'm not 100% sure that even he knew 
um, all the intricacies of of being a head coach going into it. And we kind of talked about this early in the season. And people seem to forget that even though Brenda Moore has been around this team for 19 years now in one form or another, whether as a player, he was in the front office for a couple of years, then he was a longtime assistant coach before becoming the head coach. Um, you see things differently as the head coach. And he was a he was a rookie too uh, going into the season. And he's made some, you know, he, he'll be the first to admit he's made some mistakes. Uh, personally, I think he leaves combinations together a little bit too long. Um, in, in that way, it's kind of the polar opposite of Bill Peters, who when things would go wrong, you just throw everything in a blender. And by the third period, the team <laughs> looked kind of un- unrecognizable. Um, you know, I think that Rod has kind of tethered his, his, uh, his wagon to Justin Falk on the power play a little bit too much. I think he's been a little bit too slow on the draw to make changes when they're necessary. But then at the same time, there's no better motivator. There's no better guy. And you can see this in his post game when they post like their post game locker room um, speech on Twitter. Um, the team will. And, you know, Rod's going in there and just saying what needs to be said. And that was what made him such a great captain. And I think the the motivational side of it is is natural to him and he's learning the tactical side and it has taken him a while and i think if you ask him he would be the first to tell you that it's probably been a little bit more um a a little bit more sublime than he realized it was going to be um but he's getting it and he's he's learning he's working his way through it and the team responds to him without question and sometimes as a coach getting that buy-in is the most important part of your job and he's got that without a problem so you know he'll learn the tactical stuff he's a smart guy he's a you know he wants to do well he, this is his franchise in a lot of ways uh, like he has not a li- lot of literal ownership stake but i think he, he's not you know He's, he's not just a mercenary coming in here to try to fix things. He really does care about the Carolina Hurricanes. And having a guy like that in charge of your team, um, when he's got that kind of attitude, how can it not rub off on the rest of the club? So a good first year, definitely a learning curve, I think. But he's kind of getting it. And as he kind of hits his stride here, I think he'll take more steps uh, toward being even more successful the next couple of years. So another big date coming up for this team Next Monday, trade deadline. Are you taking the day off? I think uh, I think I might be taking the day off and spending <laughs> it with my friends over at uh, 1400 Edwards Mill. Uh-huh. But definitely it'll be an interesting day for the Hurricanes. I mean, I think these next two games are big in terms of do they buy, do they sell, do they hold on to Furland, do they see what they can get for him. And the other thing that's kind of been floated a little bit, Elliot Friedman threw it out yesterday, is you know, if Don Waddell really wants to make a big splash and Paul Fenton and the Minnesota Wild haven't blocked his phone number at this point, is Eric Stahl maybe an option for mm-hmm. the Hurricanes? It, could he be an option? Yes. Um, I think that given where he is in his career, um, Eric Stahl would need to think about where he would fit on this team because when he left here, he was the undisputed number one center. He may not have always played like it, but he was always going to get those top minutes against the top opponents and was going to be the go-to guy for scoring. Now he wouldn't be that go-to scoring forward. Um, he's probably a third-line center at his age. Um, very similar to his brother, really. Jordan probably has a little bit more defensive acumen uh, than Eric, but keep in mind, Eric's only a year removed from the 30-goal season, so he still does have a scoring touch. It just might be a little bit more 
um, a, a little bit more scattershot than it would have been five or ten years ago. Um, depending on what the Wild would want for Eric Stahl, that would make sense. Kind of get the sense that if the Hurricanes are going to make a move on him, they'll just go after him as a free agent in the summer. Obviously, he knows the area. He knows the team. Wouldn't have to necessarily be a sell job to get him here um, if he wants to be here. Uh, so that would be fairly straightforward if the team decides that that's the route they want to go down. Don't really think there's necessarily a fit in terms of trade. The Hurricanes wouldn't want to give up something of value uh, for Eric Stahl, maybe a draft pick or two, maybe a low-level prospect, but that's about it. Um, and if some other team is willing to pay more than that for them, then I think the Hurricanes will be totally fine in just saying, okay, you guys go have him. We'll make our run for him uh, in the offseason. He's at the point in his career, it's not like, you know, Furland or Mark Duchesne or Mark Mark Duchesne, Matt Duchesne, <laughs> getting him and Matt Stone can. Uh, See, I just did it, literally. <laughs> Mark Duchesne and Matt Stowe, the uh, t- two players that don't exist that might be traded by the deadline. Um, he's not at that point in his career where he's looking necessarily for a seven- or eight-year deal. So, you know, if the Hurricanes wanted to get him on a deal similar to what they gave Williams two years ago, a couple years, four and a half, five million dollars million, yeah, I, see, I could see them doing that. But that's the kind of thing that I think would probably wait till the offseason. Now, that being said, if they want to upgrade at center, Matt Duchesne, is certainly a guy they would want to look at because you know he's he's a quality center the senators are shopping in fact they're not even playing him this week he's going to be scratched the rest of the week so they can try to protect the investment uh before the trade deadline so he doesn't get hurt um those are the types of players that i think if waddell really wanted to make a splash that he would go after them. You know, artemi panarin's on the market i don't think they'll be in the market for him he's a pure rental um Kevin Hayes has been mentioned from the Rangers. Um, you know, he has a fairly large-sized contract, I think, for the type of output he has. Um, so I think it, it, this is an interesting deadline because the it's a very top-heavy deadline. You've got, you know, a top winger in Panarin. Uh, Stone might or might not be on the market, depending on who you ask, but Duchesne definitely is. That's a top center. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky is a starting goalie that's on the market. You don't usually see these kinds of players on the market at the trade deadline. It's usually kind of the nibbling around the edges, third line, third pairing types. Um and that might price the Hurricanes out a little bit. The prices are very high right now, and I don't see the Hurricanes in the position that they're in. I think they're probably more likely to just stick with what they have that have gotten them to this point. If they make the playoffs, great. If they fall just short, oh well. But then they can really make a splash over the offseason and make the moves that they need to to not just get into the playoffs but make a run once they get there. So my final question for you then, Brian. Yes. Putting you on the spot. Okay. Does this current 2018-19 edition of the Carolina Hurricanes play more than 82 games? Will they make the playoffs? Yes, I think they do. Um, I've been the human glass of cold water um, on this team for the last few years. They... For a couple of years, they would invite me to the Caniac Carnival early, like in the preseason, and they'd have like a writer's roundtable or whatever. And I remember, uh, I think it was two years ago, there were four of us up there with Mike Maniscalco, and he um, asked point blank the same question, do they make the playoffs? I was the only one to say no. Um, and, and have you been invited back? I since have not then? been invited back since then, and I don't think that that is uh, necessarily a, 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 a coincidence. Um I was on record saying I thought they would make it 
um, to start the season, um, I think it is going to be mighty close. I mean, we're talking one point one way or the other. Um, I could see them squeaking in in front of maybe the Canadians. Maybe the Canadians fall off if Carey Price can't keep playing out of his mind. Um, I'm not sold, especially if they sell Panarin or Bobrovsky. I'm not at all sold on the Blue Jackets. Um, I think that's the team that you're targeting right now. Uh, as it stands right now, they're a point out, uh, a point behind both Montreal and Columbus, uh, three points behind Pittsburgh for the final uh, spot in the Metro. So the, the third place in the Metro makes it uh, without a wild card. I don't think they catch the Penguins, but... You know, that team, something isn't right with that team. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but something, the the math just doesn't add up. We know that Jim Rutherford loves to tinker. He's already tinkered a lot with, you know, sending Derek Broussard and Riley Shahan for, um, to uh, Florida earlier this season to, uh, you know, try to jumpstart his team. Um, wouldn't surprise me if he makes, he's already traded for Tanner Pearson earlier in the season. So he's made those kinds of moves. I think they get in. Um, I think that Columbus is probably the target right now. Columbus or Montreal are the target. And if the Hurricanes can keep playing the way that they have right now, they need to play at about a 95-point pace the rest of the way to make the playoffs. Is that possible? Yes, but it's not. they don't have much room for error. But you know, this is a run that they've been on that's now gone almost two full months and is showing no signs of slowing down last night, notwithstanding. If they can keep that going, and I don't think it's a fluke at this point, I think this is who they are, I think they make it, but man, is it going to be close. I mean, we're talking probably one or two points the final day of the season. Um, it's going to be really tight either way, but I think they pull it off. I'm going to agree. I think this is the year the drought ends. I think, like you said, there's a couple different options in terms of teams the Hurricanes can reel in, and you look pretty much every year, there's that one team that just gets stupid hot down the stretch and gets into the playoffs. And right now, it looks like that's the Carolina Hurricanes. And the one thing that I'll say about that is that I think the Hurricanes are peaking right now. So I think if they do make it, they're going to expend so much energy getting to that point that they're not going to go deep. Especially if they draw the lightning. If they win a game, that'll be a that'll be a win in that series. Um, that's the other reason why I don't think the Hurricanes are real interested in paying exorbitant prices for rentals at the deadline because. Because if all they're going to do is squeak in by a point and then just get slaughtered by the lightning, you know what's the, what's the point in in forking over first round picks and high and top prospects to just get destroyed? Um, you know you don't want to look at it that way. You obviously want to say you know this team's run that they're on right now is certainly sustainable and could result in a long playoff run. But the much more likely thing is that they expend so much in this run to start 2019 that once they get there, they just have nothing left. It kind of, uh, it kind of goes back to the last time they made the playoffs in 2009 um, when they, you know, they expended a ton of energy uh, first to beat the devils uh, in that, you know, that famous game seven where they scored twice in the final minute, then the seven game series against Boston where Scott Walker scored, they expended so much energy and they got to the Eastern Conference finals and were swept out of the building by the Penguins because they just had nothing left. I kind of get that sense that that run is happening now. If they can sustain it, they will make it. But I think they're going to be totally out of gas by the time they get there. And I don't think it's much more than about a round playoff run, which is fine. I will gladly take a round playoff run at this point. I think pretty much any Hurricanes fan would agree with you on that point. But I think 
That's all we have for you guys today. I want to thank you again, Brian, so much for being on this episode with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. It was great having you, and we are finished for this week. We will be back with you guys next week. And until then, I'm your host, Technician Sports Editor Andrew Schnitker. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Alex Sawyer. And that will do it for this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. 